Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. We have with us today Pastor Harold L. Sinkbile. He is the author of many things, including The Care of Souls, and he's the former director of Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care. His new book is Christ and Calamity, Grace and Gratitude in the Darkest Valley. Welcome, Pastor Senkbile. It's a pleasure to be with you, Mark. Uh, now, you say that, quote, this is a book about God's faithfulness in the face of uncertainty. Uh, do you see many signs around you of a loss of faith in God's faithfulness? Even if you even if you got people who believe in God, they they seem to be shaky on His faithfulness. Well, uh, certainly, I think that's a, been a trend for a long time, and then of course accelerated greatly by our recent expand experience with the pandemic. But uh, as I said in the book, it's really not about the pandemic; it's rather about all kinds of calamities and distresses, um, losses, uh, grief, um, whatever comes our way that does indeed test our faith. And and so I think um, the temptation is always to uh, to doubt God's promises when you're confronted with things like that. And we see that in the scriptures as well. Yeah. You You actually call us, we here in the United States, a, quote, people of small faith. Uh, now, is this a fairly new condition, or do you think our, our diminishing faith has, has been like this for, for quite a long time now? Well, I, I am a, a septuagenarian, so I've had some experience, but I can't speak with uh, great um, authority on that particular topic. I do know enough about church history, and from my 50 years of pastoral experience, I know that uh, the sinful nature is enmity against God, and so therefore uh, constantly people are always uh, tempted to give up on God when they're confronted with difficulties. Um, as as to trends, I, I leave that to other prognosticators. Um, I know we have more than our share of difficulties as we face an, a growing antagonism in the culture today, but what that does to personal faith, I think, probably goes in both directions. Hmm. On one hand, it could erode confidence. On the other hand, it does intend to sharpen our awareness of our need for our God and Father through faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, you actually say on this, in something of an optimistic note, that you know the faith may be weakening. Again, even in believers, their faith is not as strong as it used to be. But no matter, God is strong. God is not weakened at all. This is what we must remember, right? 
Right. I use the example of, of Peter in the Sea of Galilee, um, who was a bit uh, astonished to find this ghostly figure coming toward him on the on the uh, waves, and then he heard the voice of Jesus um, saying, take heart as I, and he said, if it's really you, there was a bit of an element of doubt, you know, ask me to come to you. Mm-hmm. And so he did. He stepped out of the boat, and everything was going fine until he saw the waves, and then he began to sink, and then um, our Lord reached out and grabbed him. So I think that's the um, the, the model, if you will, to what we're what we face day by day in our own personal distresses, when we notice the uh, distress around us, when we're overwhelmed by the odds, if you will, that are against us, uh, then we tend to our, our grip loosens, if you will, on our faith. But then, as we remember, you know, uh, Jesus picked him up out of those as he was sinking, and, and so it's not the strength of our faith, the amount of our faith that counts. It's rather what our faith rests in. And when it rests in Jesus, it's secure, no matter how great or how small our faith is. When you look at that episode on on the sea, do you do you blame Peter? Do you say, "Come on, Peter, you should know better than this"? Uh, no, I, I think uh, we've all been there. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's the experience of our common experience as uh, human beings. Uh, that. Um, when, when we are faced with uh, great obstacles like that, when it seems to be overwhelming, when it seems as though all, all reason for, humanly speaking, all reason for hope is gone, then um, our faith is shaken, and that's perfectly normal. That's what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things not seen. So um, uh, trusting in the word which is given to us um, by God himself is what's necessary, but that's only possible by the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, I remember once several years ago when some, some of the private writings of Mother Teresa came out, and it showed she had, she had moments of doubt about a lot of things, and people were saying, hey, she wasn't quite the, quite the saint that everyone thought she was. And I looked at this and said, well, of course she had moments of doubt. I mean, what, what you know... Uh, well, not only that, but I think that you know, many people, as they looked at her notes there that, that are available, uh, identified this with the so-called black night of the soul, when there yeah. actually is not, nothing at all um, coming from God to to, uh, to to rely on in terms of anything internal. So the the whole uh, sensory system, if you will, is overwhelmed by by what what can be seen and touched and felt, and so therefore the spiritual promises of God seem to be empty and without any promise of at all. And uh, so that that is a, a real uh, test of faith. And, um, you know, I've seen that happen to individuals. It's, it's a tragedy when it does, but um, I've seen them through it also by yeah. God's grace um, because uh, that's exactly... Um, where the promises of God in Christ Jesus apply, <laughs> when all, humanly speaking, all reason for hope is gone, then yeah. we need to turn to Him. And what, when you when you approach, yeah, when you pr- approach people, you approach them in, in this situation with the premise that, well, of course, faith can can wax and wane as as life hits us with one thing and another. This this actually just just 
sort of unless it reaches a, a, a serious degree, it's really not something to get too upset about. One just goes back and uh, to, to scripture and, and prayer, correct? Yeah. Everything is sanctified by God's word and prayer, according to <clears throat> St. Paul. And so that's um, well, the tools that are given to us. It's, faith is not just something you drum up from inside you. Rather, it always draws you outside of yourself to the promises of God in Christ. Therefore, God's word is, is the uh, soul a means by which we can find our way forward in, in, in difficult times. Yeah. You know, I, I make that point throughout the book because it's really a collection of promises of God. It's chock full of scripture, mm-hmm. and it, uh, I think the goal, my goal in writing it was to be honest and, and forthright about the, uh, the real impact of, of difficulties and not to paint any kind of a rose-colored picture of what the Christian life is like <clears throat> or what it ought to be like, but what it really is. And Martin Luther once said that a, a true theologian of the cross uh, does not call good things bad or bad things good, but rather calls the thing what it actually is. Hmm. And that's what it means to follow Jesus, is hmm. trusting him no matter what, as he himself trusted in the face of his uh, most grievous uh, temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hmm. He almost threw in the towel, but said, nevertheless, not my will, but mm-hmm. yours be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you note that you know people are fickle in their relationship to God. Do you attribute is the reason for that simply because of original sin, or or do you, do you, do you have further explanation for that? Well, we know that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So the obstacles that we we tend to think our problems are either psychological, that is emotional or maybe it's other people, it's political or social. But the Scripture clearly teaches us that we are always operating on a spiritual dimension as well. <clears throat> and the, the real obstacles that we face are spiritual. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of ungodliness in the spiritual realm. So in other words, the devil and his angels are opposed to God and his kingdom, and so we it certainly stands to reason that our faith will be shaken because that's how the devil works. He tries to undermine our faith by either accusing us of our sin or somehow eroding our faith so that we would give up on God, that we'd let go of him because God always has hold of us. And uh, so he's trying to, uh, to, to uh, with all his might and main, to destroy that link between us and our gracious Savior. So he's, he's going to throw every, he has many tricks up his sleeve <laughs> and uh, to get us off of equilibrium, so to speak, and to get us to rely on our own resources. And then when that happens, then we're sitting ducks <laughs> because we just don't have it in us. That's, again, the point of my book, to point to Jesus in the midst of distress. What is the first practical step one can take uh, in order to steady one's faith in, in times of calamity? Well, Mark, I think all of us, in every circumstance, there's a constantly, a constantly an inner conversation going on inside our heads. Uh, we're, we're constantly reviewing 
uh, things as we take in information by our eyes and ears. We process them in our brain, and so there's an inner voice, if you will, that keeps us on an even keel. And when these things, uh, these horrific situations come, um, that throws us off balance. And so our inner conversation gets all out of whack. And uh, so my point throughout the book is to help people to study themselves, not by drawing on their inner resources <clears throat> or, or their their um, their stick-to-itiveness, um, but rather to uh, to to listen to the voice of God as He addresses us in the Word. So turn to the Scriptures. I, uh, I uh, several times I mention important, I think, especially in a difficult time, to uh, read Scripture out loud, to listen, literally listen to the voice of God, and so that the all the other things that tend to clutter our brain and throw us off, emotionally speaking, um, are silenced or at least are diminished. Uh, so we can, when we can focus on that, then we find that God's Holy Spirit calls us out of ourselves and into God in Christ Jesus, where our faith can rest securely. I think that you make a very astute point, uh, Pastor Sankbao, when you say that at times of, of difficulty, you urge people not to think about their own faith. Don't focus on yourself, I'm losing my faith, I'm, I'm losing my trust. Focus on God. The object the the one who deserves our faith that yeah, that, that is that is a i think that's a very productive beginning here yeah exactly well you know and it kind of works that way in terms of physical health as well if you get into a tight spot and you're struck by an anxiety attack your pulse races and and pretty soon if you have your fingers on your wrist to check your pulse constantly, what happens? Your pulse races even more. Hmm. So if I'm always checking my faith to see how am I doing, uh, then my faith rests in my faith, <laughs> and that's very flimsy ground. Uh, faith simply grasps the hand that grasps the promises of God. And so the promises of God are what need to be emphasized. Then faith can has room to to be strengthened, and and the anxiety can be diminished. Uh, you, otherwise, it's a constant roller coaster. Yeah, you you have an an interesting distinction here. At one point, you you say, "Don't now, don't don't start whining, lamentation." Yeah. What is lamentation? Yes. <clears throat> what is the difference between whining and, and lamentation? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it, literally, the you know the lam to lament is 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 uh, something that we are encouraged to do. A good share of the Psalms in the Bible are Psalms of lament. Uh, for example, the one that Jesus quoted on the cross: "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" That's a lament. It's calling out to God in the midst of distress from the bottom of the pit. And uh, when we not, do not know where to turn to, and there's nothing wrong with that. It mm -hmm. is really, literally filing a complaint with God, and we think that that's beneath us somehow, that that's unchristian. And yet um, we see all the great saints of the Bible did the same, and chiefly, as I said, Jesus himself, our God in human flesh. 
um, called out to his heavenly father in, in deepest agony and distress. Um, humanly speaking, he did not know where to turn. And so he turned to his his father in heaven. And uh, so we are uh, called to, to turn to our father in heaven, too. So it, that's sort of a prayer, if you will. It's not a desperation or a sign of, of giving up on God. But exactly the opposite. It's a sign of trust in God. I mean, any of us who have ever raised a little child, you know that you delight as a father to to hear the the pain and the complaints and the anguish of the little ones. You, when they call to you, you pick them up, you hold them on your lap, you comfort mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And um, also in, in medical care, <clears throat> when you have a a physical injury or some particular ailment, there's always a symptom of pain, and, and you list that for the physician. That's the com- that's a medical complaint. It's not whining. Yeah. <laughs> it's simply saying, "Here's here's where I hurt," and you know that 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 physician can can help it. Mm-hmm. So we are turning to the heavenly physician when we lament before God, and and that's one of the things in our toolkit, if you will, as we face these distresses. You. You say at one point that God actually, quote, invites us, unquote, to to complain. Right. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. So, so the complaint is really an appeal. Uh, in itself, it's it's an acknowledgement of God's yeah. of God's greatness of of God's of God's strength. Right. I mean, if you if you send if instead you react like. Like something like this. Well, oh God, okay. this is horrible. But God, I've got this. I can handle it. Well, that's not that's not an expression of faith. That's really um, an expression of of unfaith. Yeah. We want to we want to bring our complaints to God. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You say at one point that you you kind of like the question, what would Jesus do, that popular question, but you you find that it has some limitations. Uh, what what is what is the what is the problem with that question? <clears throat> well, the the reality is <clears throat> when we're in the, in a tight spot, particular particularly when we're in either physical or emotional pain. Um, we wonder what's up, what's gone wrong, and yet we take a moment and think about Jesus. What would He do? Well, we know it was for the joy that was set before Him that He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, what would Jesus do? He would suffer. That's what He would do. And so, suffering is is not unusual for us, as it was not unusual for our Lord. It goes with the territory. Uh, if we want to, um, if we want to uh, 
experience the power of his resurrection, we must also share in his suffering, writes the Apostle Paul. So it's not uh, something out of the ordinary when the suffering comes our way. The trick is to find suffer to handle suffering not with our own resources, but to use it as it's intended to do, to draw us closer to our Father in heaven, to be consoled and comforted and strengthened in the midst of that, and to realize that all of our suffering and pain has already been faced by Jesus, who endured all that and more for our sake, and he has sanctified our pain by his misery. You you talk about the importance of people finding meaning in in the private pain you use the term private in the private pain they suffer and and that right there is the most important meaning jesus he 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 experienced this right and and there i have to be clear of course by our pain we can't any in any way atone for our own sin or make up for any loss on our part but rather we have in a mysterious way we are given <clears throat> to share in the sufferings of Jesus in this way. Not that our sufferings are are contributing to our salvation in any way, but it is a sign, an indication that we belong to him. Um, Jesus told his disciples, uh, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks for signs. I tell you, no sign shall be given them except the sign of Jonah. And um, so... As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days. So his 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 suffering, his death, his burial are all are the indications of his identity, and so we are too. We we share in that, <clears throat> and so instead of being astonished when difficulty and even suffering comes our way, we should rather accept it as a indication that we have ownership, we belong to him. It, it, it marks us as uh, one of Christ's own people. Well, one thing I I often note, I'll, I'll tell my son, you know, when, when he's having a hard time with something, I say, I know, I know it's tough, but, you know, people who've never, ever had a hard time, by the time they're 25 years old, they are absolutely insufferable human beings. <laughs> <laughs> so, an, an interesting turn of phrase, isn't it? Insufferable. They've never suffered. Uh, you know, so they, I, they've I, become insufferable. I, I hadn't thought of that when I said that, but yes, exactly, exactly right. So uh, now, you, you like to distinguish comfort from comfortable. What's the difference there? Yeah. <clears throat> well, Jesus said it's necessary that he he leave and go away back to his Father's throne in glory. Because if he didn't leave, uh, the comforter could not come. But if he leaves, God will send another comforter, and that is the Holy Spirit. And that translates, you know, and I think in the authorized version, the King James translation is comforter. Um, the literal word is paraclete. What that means is one who is called alongside, someone who stands by you in a tight spot, who is with you in the midst of your suffering. And uh, so uh, I think we have the wrong idea that uh, to be comforted by God is to have all of our pain go away, um, when in reality what it means is that God comes down to be with us in the midst of that and to console us in the middle of it so that we are literally not alone. 
uh, we share in his sufferings in a mysterious way. And in so doing, um, we uh, fulfill um, what it means to belong to Jesus um, by faith in him. Uh, you, this leads us to uh, the cross, which you say is, quote, the essence of our faith. We should constantly return to the cross. Is this too often forgotten? Yeah, I think there's a tendency in the part of all of us to want to avoid the cross. I mean... It's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> who, 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 wants, who wants to sign up for misery and pain and agony? Um, we'd much rather be interested in, in uh, all the good parts and all the good things. And you know, although the book does focus on calamity and difficulty, uh, I, I think I, I'm at pains also to show uh, the great joys of what it means to be a child of God and all the blessings that we have day by day in God's good creation. So yes, indeed, there are all kinds of of horrific things all around us, but we must not forget that day by day, uh, God sends rain upon the just and the unjust. The sun rises and sets. Um, the crops grow and are harvested. He satisfies our needs with good things. He opens up his hand and satisfies the desires of all living things. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus says, you want to know if God is on your side, take a look at the birds of the air, and God feeds them. Um, uh, they are not um, busy earning a living, and yet God gives them their daily food. And they sing to God in thanksgiving day by day. Um, the flowers of the field are, are, uh, are not toiling or spinning, and yet uh, God uh, clothes them in such beauty that even the, uh, the, uh, the glorious raiments of Solomon fade in comparison with the beauty of the flowers. So take a look at the created world around you. It's chock full of the signs of God's grace and mercy. And uh, so, too, that's true for every Christian, even in the midst of our distress. Uh, so, um, yeah, the uh, so sorrow comes with the territory in this fallen world, but along with it comes many joys and mercies. What you, you, you have the phrase, quote, deny yourself and take up your cross. What, 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 is that, what does that entail? Well, for all of us, I think it means different things. <laughs> There's no one set formula. Um, we, uh, by nature, because we're children of, we inherited our fallen nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, we tend to be selfish and self-centered. And so we uh, have a certain amount of things that we think we need for our own welfare and our own identity. So to deny yourself means to give up all those selfish ambitions, things that would exalt yourself over your neighbor, that would seek your own needs first above everything else. And um, so Jesus invites us to seek God first and his kingdom, and then all these other things will be added to us. We always get it upside down and backwards, and so Jesus says, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, um, then you'll find life in all of its fullness. When you're full of yourself, you can't be full of God. So giving that up uh, for Jesus' sake. And uh, sometimes that's 
done to us and for us because of the difficulties we face. Uh, we have no choice but to recognize that in ourselves there's nothing but um, sin and death, but in Christ Jesus there's forgiveness, joy, righteousness, and holiness, yeah. and eternal glory. You say, quote, suffering is natural for the Christian. Now, Pastor, is this just too hard a lesson for people to accept, especially in a consumer culture constantly peddling to everyone goods that are just going to please you, satisfy you, fulfill you? Yeah, and tragically, of course, um, many Christians have attempted to package the gospel in such a way that it appeals to that, that desperate uh, desire to to have more and, and greater and better. Um, um, but that's false advertising, if you will, because if you read the scriptures carefully, <clears throat> um, our Lord invites us to a life of sacrifice, of, uh, of giving up, and, and paradoxically then, in dying we are born to eternal life. If, as we are, as we are to, to deny ourselves and take up our crosses, then we find the fullness of life, but it's found in Jesus, not in us. And we find our fullness in, in him and not in our own reputation, our own achievement. Uh, so it's more blessed, said Jesus, to give than to receive. That's upside down again and backwards from every human ambition. And yet uh, that's the way of the cross that leads to uh, joys now and eternally hereafter. Your your subtitle is has gratitude in it. Does genuine prayer always have some element of gratitude to it? <clears throat> well... <laughs> I think you know the Lord hears the prayers of the righteous, even prayers of desperation. So not every prayer includes gratitude, certainly. But I'm suggesting that the fuller picture of what God intends for us is that in our communication with Him, that is our prayer, it should be with with thanksgiving. So um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Um, and you might ask, well, you know, where's the thanks? We we tend to have it backwards again and left to ourselves. We say, well, I'm in a jam now, so I'm going to pray and ask for help. And, and, then, and then when I'm done, when God delivers me, then I will thank him. So we tend to think, of what, I have, what do I have to be thankful for? But, you know, God kind of turns that upside down. It is a life of, of, of God's continued blessings so we have a thankful heart and a thankful spirit so in the very same breath literally as we cry out for um, in our despair and in our assistance we we give him thanks so maybe that would be a good message to um, to remember regarding our life of prayer that we begin with thanksgiving not rather search uh, somehow into the deep right recesses of our mind to find well, what can I be thankful for? I want to thank God for who He is and the very fact that I can address Him as a dear child addresses His dear Father for the sake of Jesus. Um, that in itself <clears throat> is unmerited favor 
So there's much to be thankful for just for the fact of who God is and who I am as his child by faith. The book is Christ and Calamity, Grace and Gratitude in the Darkest Valley. Pastor Senkbao, thank you for joining us. What a joy to, to visit with you, and God's blessings to you and all to your listeners. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.